if you read um, our weekly emails that Jasmine puts together for us, which I encourage that you do, and actually read them instead of just seeing that they arrive and move along, you'll, you'll, you'll know that I referred to this morning, to this Sunday, as a vision, vision Sunday. And many of you probably read that, or maybe hear it now, and you're thinking, okay, here we go. Here comes a run of slides. Here's a 12-point plan. Here's some numerical goals. Well, that's not quite the vision that God has for this church in this moment. In actual fact, um, I'm steering, uh, steering into a, a bit of a risk here, because the original message that I planned for this morning was going to have some of that, that data in it. Uh, I had an, an intention to, to remind those of us that utilize a yearly pledge to complete your commitment by the end of the year. I was going to challenge others to give financially to the work of the church, as the Bible commands us to do. And those things are true, and they are right, and that is a message for another time, because the Spirit has laid a slightly different message on my heart for this morning. It's still a vision Sunday. When we formally launched the search to add to our staff leadership, I shared a vision of, of taking this baton from the past, building on what's gone before, and preparing for the future, sort of stabilizing the ship and, and, and drawing parallels we did from the, the leadership of Moses. Because I think in this season, in this season that's still in somewhat transition, I think God is less interested in what we are doing and more interested in who we are becoming. I think is less interested about the business of doing church and more about being the church. And there is a lot of doing to be done, so don't, don't misunderstand me. As an executive pastor, that's kind of my role to at least some degree, to work on the hows and the what of the doing rather than focusing on the, the who of becoming. But as we look at the who we are becoming, it's important to reflect on, on where we've come as we navigate where we're moving to next so let me remind us, over the past year, we've been largely focused on answering the question Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And then we looked at the response, our response to that answer. And it has been good, and it has been fruitful work. Many of you joined a discipleship study over the summer, lent into weekly community groups. We've had fruitful, encouraging marriage studies, eight baptisms, child dedications. We ended the year in, in somewhat of a storm. We fixed our eyes on Jesus. We allowed him to tame the wind and the waves. I really wanted us to focus on the first part of that mission statement, to serve Lower Manhattan and beyond by uniting people to God and to others. So we looked at this unity with God. Now, obviously, we're not abandoning that. We're not, we're not checking off that first part. Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. It's the, the lens we use to view everything. We're not abandoning it. We're building upon it. And as we head into a new year, we're going to focus more on that second part of the mission, the community with each other. And I don't mean light, surface level, how are you, friendship. I mean a deeper partnership, pulling together for the sake of the kingdom, because that's the foundation of what is to come. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you speak to us through your word this morning. Help us learn and be inspired by you and drawn in unity to you and in community with each other. Amen.
So um, a Vision Sunday is be no surprise. Um, I want us to look at John chapter 21, which I think is going to come up behind me. Thank you. So this is after Jesus has died, he's risen again, he's appeared to the disciples. We've talked about this passage a number of times. It's one of my favorite narratives in, in, in the Bible. And so there's a lot of confusion because this has happened, this crazy event's happened, then he rose again, so now it's even more confusing. There's grief and now more confusion and fear. And they don't, the, the disciples don't really know what to do. They've been hiding in an upper room, they're kind of doing all kinds of stuff, and Peter goes back to what he did before, what he knows. And it says this, it starts in verse 3. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. So the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled a loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore and there were 153 large fish and the, yet the net had not torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. It was the third time he had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. Then after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's now hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. When you are old, you'll stretch out your hands, and others will dress you. They'll take you where you don't want to go. He said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Now, I know we've talked about this passage a number of times because it is such a beautiful picture. Jesus calls Peter to the beach after great failure, while he's actually avoiding kingdom work actively. And Jesus invites him to the table and he asks him, do you love me? Who do you say I am, Peter? And then as he answers, he sends him out. Now, when we write sermons, there's um, this I don't know what we call it, Shay, a requirement to have a title for the sermon. It's a requirement I've never fully understood. Um, my titles would always be like, oh, I don't know, the one where Jesus said this, or the time that God said I should teach on that, or the message that Marcy told me to preach. I don't know. Um, and so this morning, I think on the, on the 
the program sheet I wrote, you know, what's in store for 2024, because it rhymed, and I thought it was kind of cool. But actually, the title of this sermon is, It Doesn't End With Breakfast. So that's what I want to have in mind as we move forward. It doesn't end with breakfast. We're, talking, we're taking the role of Peter in this narrative. We're each taking that, that, that role. We're invited to the table with all our mistakes, with all our misgivings, just like Peter. Breakfast is waiting. And over the past year, we've been exploring the question that Jesus has asked. He asked Peter, do you love me? Who do you say I am? Jesus is waiting for us. The table is set, and it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with breakfast. The answer to that question for Peter, do you love me? Who do you say I am? And for us, it's just the beginning. There's now a task ahead. And I want us to consider the next season, the next season of ministry as one of being sent out together as partners of the gospel, not members of a club, but invested partners living in the love and grace of Jesus. As we take on that role in, in, in this scenario of Peter, there's a few things um, from his example that show this journey of partnering in the gospel that I want to take into the new year together. And first is that we'll be a people, we'll be a church that's humbled in God's presence, humbled before God. In Luke 5, it's one of the first times Jesus and Peter meet when Jesus calls Peter to follow him. And, and Simon Peter sees this great miracle that Jesus worked. And, and when he sees this, um, he says this, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. So Peter sees this miracle, this incredible miracle. His first response is to say, I can't have anything to do with this. I cannot be a part of this. I can't be a person of this kind of faith because I am unworthy of this. He doesn't say, well, I'm part of this. I'm on the inner circle. Of course, I'm part of this. I deserve this. I should be here. We're all unworthy. We can't do it alone. And that's the point of partnership. Moses felt the same way in the Old Testament. Isaiah felt the same way. Mary feels the same way. Peter felt the same way. All the people of great faith felt the same way. Because it's true. He's God. We're not. I am unworthy of being close to him. So there's honesty in that. And as someone who, who struggles with feelings of insecurity, of not being enough, of wanting to feel worthy, of wanting to feel valuable to others, to not sure if I feel close enough to God, whatever, whatever that kind of means. What I've learned is that trying to feel worthy of God's presence is the wrong approach. The more you look at yourself, the more you realize I'm not worthy. So don't try to feel worthy of God's presence, but accept the fact that Jesus has invited you to the table. Accept the fact that he has made you worthy and valuable as one part of the body of believers, a significant part in the context of kingdom work. Don't try to feel worthy alone. Accept that you've been made worthy in partnership with others. Through... Um, therapy and stuff, I've come to realize that most of the things out of balance um, work against you, but independence, even out of balance, can work against you. Confidence, I guess if that's the opposite of insecurity, can, can comes not through my own ability or something that I can earn, but actually acknowledging that I, I have worth because he's made me so. 
And what I bring to the partnership has great value because it's the context of the partnership that it comes alive. So it's with humility we view our church community not as simply a resource for ourselves, but for one another. So as we head into the new year, we want to humble ourselves before God, knowing we cannot do the work alone. And as we do that, we'll step out in faith. Humble ourselves before God and step out in faith. In Matthew 14, Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouts. So here's Peter. Everyone else is in the boat. He's the one who gets out. He's the one who takes those few steps on the water. John Ortberg wrote this book called, um, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And I read it years ago, years and years ago. It's the book that inspired me to take a step of faith, embark upon a journey of ministry in a different country, and, and, and really allow God to, to write the story of, of ministry for me. And the book obviously unpacks the concept more. And very simply, it's John Ortberg. It's very easy to read. But even on the face of it, just from the cover, there's an obvious lesson. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. If you want to do great things, you have to take a step of faith, just like Peter did. When he notices the wind and the waves, he has this great moment of triumph, doing someone no one else has ever done. But he notices this. The fear sets in. Doubt sets in. He starts to sink. And that's often what stepping out in faith can be like. You launch out. You're doing something you never thought you could. You begin maybe even just a relationship with Jesus or a deeper one. You start a ministry. You share the gospel. You invite someone to church or to community group. Maybe you end up leading a church in downtown Manhattan suddenly out of nowhere and wonder why and how. And I'm not cut out for this. And you face doubts from outside or from inside or whatever it is. And you start to sink. And just like Peter, you cry out, save me. As we step out in faith, call out to Jesus and reach out a hand to the partners around you. Pull up the one who is sinking. Don't watch them drown from the safety of the boat. Because if we all stay in the boat, our fears and our doubts will control this church. And I want our faith to define us. So we'll head into the new year humbling ourselves before God as we step out in faith And the third thing is we're going to keep it simple. Churches often make things so very complicated. If you're overwhelmed by what you should be doing as a person following Jesus, where to begin, keep it simple. Simple words change the world. In Matthew 16, Peter's with Jesus in um, Caesarea Philippi, north of Israel, it's a place with a lot of, of, of worship of false gods. And in the midst of the debating, like, who, who do you think Jesus is? Like, who do you say I am? This debate's going on. There's a lot of conversation about it. And that's when Jesus turns to his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Simple words. Peter says it with probably more questions than he has answers. Yet Jesus looks at him and says, this kind of faith, this is it. You are the rock. I will build my church on this kind of faith. It changes everything. And later when Peter says it again, 
after Jesus is resurrected to this huge crown to Jerusalem in, in Acts. Um, it, the Bible tells us that those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The same simple message, Jesus the Christ, Jesus is the one. So start simple. Let's keep it simple. Say something simple. Serve someone in a simple way, and God will use that to change everything. We'll head into the new year humbling ourselves before God as we step out in faith to serve simply, and we're going to do it with a group of imperfect people because we all make mistakes, and we're going to embrace that. Peter certainly did. He had this moment when Jesus is telling him, like, disciples, I need you to understand this. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer these things. That's God's plan for my life. And in Matthew 16, Peter takes him aside and reprimands him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So Peter of which the church is founded, is called Satan by Jesus. This is not a good day for Peter. And what Peter said sounded so good. It sounded so spiritual. But it was so off base. And even with the best of intentions, we'll say or do the wrong thing. And it'll happen a thousand times. It's how we grow in faith. God reminds us again and again, it's about me, it's about him, it's about what he's doing. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about how great we are, but I do want to do great things through you. And he's going to do great things through this church, not because of us, possibly in spite of us. But if we remain humble before him, if we step out in faith, and if we serve simply in partnership with other imperfect people, and next, if we work on our relationships, as we lean into community with one another, there will be challenges. Having faith doesn't take that away. Faith doesn't make your marriage perfect. Doesn't change your relationship with your kids, or your friends, or your coworkers. It's not going to happen that way because you're still selfish. You're still the worst. Yet other people also struggle with selfishness, and they're even worse than you. So we'll struggle with relationships. It won't be an easy path. The disciples struggled all the time. They were always arguing who was the greatest one. Back to Peter. Peter came and asked Jesus a question about it, about relationships in Matthew he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, this is unlikely a rhetorical question that Peter is asking. He is very practical. He's a fisherman. He says, how many times does my brother have to sin? And he actually may be talking about his literal brother, Andrew, one of the disciples in this moment. It's, it's unclear. But he's asking about, about someone who's probably sinned against him for maybe eight times. And he's kind of saying, so seven, am I good now? Can I cut him off now? Have I done the thing? And Jesus says, no, 77. Because in that day, it was taught you should forgive someone three times. That's what, that's what the teacher was saying. So Peter says seven. What he's really saying 
is not just three. He's saying that's what the teachers are saying, but I follow Jesus, so I'll double it and I'll add one. Let's set the bar at seven. Could we say seven times of forgiveness? And I think relationships are hard. And so thinking of it this way is, I think, kind of helpful. So bear with me. If there was a, I don't know, a, a bar three feet off the ground, most of you would say, yeah, I could, probably, I could probably get over that. I might hurt myself, but I could get over that. I could jump, a, I could jump over a three-foot thing. I could, I could probably just about figure it out. Could you jump over a bar at seven feet? Well, the world record is just over eight feet. It's like eight and a quarter from like 93 or something. So it could be done. Technically, it has been done. Somebody could do it. And you might think that, well, I could be the, a part of the team that could do it. I could pray for the person that could do it. Some of you might even spend the rest of your life trying to do it because it's been done, so it should be able to be matched. But Jesus says not three feet, not seven feet. Let's set the bar at 70 times seven. Let's set the bar at 490 feet, at 35 stories. Let's set the bar at the height of the UN building. Why? Because we can't do that on our own. That's the point. It's not the number. The point is we can't do it alone, that we need a power outside of ourselves to get that high. If we're going to have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have, we'll need his power. You can't forgive like Jesus without the power of his forgiveness. Jesus says, trust me to do only what I can do in your life. Trust me. With his power, you're going to see relationships grow and deepen and change. And we'll head into next year remaining humble before God as we step out in faith. We'll serve simply in partnership with other imperfect people as we work on our relationships. And then we will fail, but we'll recover well. Because we still fail, because we're imperfect. But we'll recover well, and we'll have grace for each other. Simon Peter is the guy who denied Jesus three times. So talk about failure. In uh, Matthew 26, Peter says, even if everyone deserts you, Jesus, I will never desert you. I will never, he says so confidently, it will never happen to me. And before this happens in the Gospel of Luke, it's recorded um, that Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, when you have repented, when you have turned back to me again, you'll strengthen your brothers. The others, the brothers, his community, would be strengthened by his recovery from the failure. In the face of failure, we'll turn back to what God has for us. Turn back to God's way for us. We're not going to minimize a failure. We're not going to minimize a misstep. But we're not going to be frozen by not taking risks and chances. God is real. God has a purpose and a plan for each of your lives. There's no failure in your life. No failure in our lives that can keep him from having a plan for us. It doesn't stop at failures. It goes through them. So when we take a misstep, when something doesn't go according to plan, we'll turn back and we'll strengthen each other. Because there's other people who have faced the same thing that you faced, who've had the same thing done to them that's been done to you. There's others facing the same challenge, the same hurt. And God wants to use you in their lives to bring that encouragement and that strength. They need you. We need you. We need the message you have, the hope you can bring. 
And Peter returns. And when he does return, it's in the returning that he starts the new church and strengthens others in their faith. So in the next year, we're going to step out in faith, in humble community, serving simply together. We'll work on relationships with imperfect people. And we'll turn back from our failures with openness and vulnerability so that, so that we will experience miracles. Absolute miracles beyond your wildest dreams. God will do things through this church that we never thought possible. For Peter's ministry, he preached and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. He's walking down the street and a guy who's been lame, who's never been able to walk before, he prays for him, he starts to walk. He gets put in prison for preaching and prays that he be set free and chains just fall off and doors open and he just walks out. He's walking down the street, his shadow falls on someone and they're healed simply by his shadow falling on them. And we've seen great miracles here in the past year, a struggling marriage restored. A person that you think could never be a follower of Jesus and their life is now turned around and they're a light to the world. We've seen deep, meaningful connections and relationships in a busy survival of the fittest city. Now only God knows every practical step ahead. But I have a picture of a church that has a vibrant community where midweek groups continue to be more than a program on the calendar, but a place of genuine joy and genuine partnership. A picture of Luke 4 ministry partners that are known and cared for by people from this community. Not just a check we write every year, but partners that we link arms with in the work. I have a picture of a church that is excited to come to retreat. To retreat together ready to charge ahead. Where serving each other is second nature. Where knowing each other is not a byproduct of attending church, but it is the church. So much so that it is impossible to remain unknown. I have a picture of a ministry center here in the city, a physical place where we can become known through the week as a place of prayer and support for the community. As partners in the gospel, we're going to see God working through our lives and through this church. So finally, to boil it down to maybe just two words to take away that Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. John 21, follow me. And Jesus says it to us too. Follow me. Do that. Just follow him. Peter heard those words at the beginning of his three years of ministry with Jesus at the seashore. Jesus said, I want you to be a fisher of men, so follow me. And at the end of that three years, again, on the beach, after all that he's seen, after all that he's done, after all that he's grown and experienced, his deeper faith, the skilled worker, the words are the same. The challenge is the same. Follow me. So this is the vision. After all we've seen, after all we've done, after all we've grown and experienced, the vision of a church, of a community, actively Fiercely following Jesus together as partners with everything we have. One body rising to the same words of Jesus' call to follow me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you welcome us, you invite us 
all to the table as parts of one body, of one church to do your one mission. We ask you instill in us the courage to follow you, the courage to answer the question, do you love me? Who do you say I am? The strength and the unity to work together to see your kingdom work done in this place. Amen.